As I said, I'm Matt. I'm super excited to be with you this morning. Um, are y'all praying more? Who's praying more? Seven of you are praying more. That's fantastic. <laughs> this is the end of our series. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I've actually have heard several of you talk about what it's looked like to, to have your prayer life shift a little bit, to think a little bit differently about prayer. I think there's a couple of community groups in particular that are trying some new things about how they pray together, um, how they're praying the Psalms. Um, so it's been pretty fun, pretty exciting. And so I just want to, one, celebrate that, and two, want to encourage you to, to continue on, that, uh, that we'd be a people who, who pray more. And um, we've uh, been building this this kind of composite picture of what it looks like for us to pray as a people, to pray well. And uh, I used a, a golf metaphor a couple weeks ago, um, which, which talked about kind of the different elements of what it, makes, what it takes to make a swing, uh, because I wanted to kind of compare that to, to, to golf. All the golfers told me that it was really obvious that I didn't golf, which was <laughs> kind of one of those ways in which you know your metaphor didn't quite make it all the way. But the whole premise was that, that we, don't, we don't just, pr prayer is one thing, but it's made up of several components, several dynamics. And what we've been trying to do is to try and take all those elements to create one life of prayer, one one movement that, that leads us into the kind of relationship with God that is significant, that's meaningful, that's transformative, because, because that's what prayer is. It's, it's relating with God. It's being in relationship with him. It's, it's keeping company with our Father. And this is one of the reasons why in this series we've called it to pray more, not because we just want you to pray more, though we do want you to pray more, so we have nine hands next week, just kidding, uh, is, um, is that we want to be the kind of people who pray more the kind of people who choose to take their time. So I've given you a couple of different directions. Um, some is to pray a couple of psalms a day. And a couple of you guys have been talking to me about what that's been like. A little surprised, some of you, by, by all the imprecatory psalms, which are the psalms where it's like, may those people die. So I'm, I'm really excited about how you're learning to pray through those um, and you know how that applies to your life. Um, also, I've asked you to, to spend some time praying with other people, to be intentional about praying out loud and, and communing together with God and hearing each other and learning to follow your heart and follow him in that kind of a context. And lastly, I invited you to take some of your restroom time and turn it into to prayer time. Uh, that's been kind of, and I've heard lots of feedback about that in general. So it is now the standing office joke that I go, listen, I'll be right back. I got to go pray. It's pretty much <laughs> how it goes. If you'd like to spread that to your office, go for it. But we've been looking at what it means to pray more, and uh, particularly we've looked at what it means to pray more honestly, meaning for us to come as we are, not as we should be, not as we ought to be, but that, that the real us speaks. We've also wanted to be people who would who'd pray more truthfully, and that is that we would pray with our Bibles on our lap, our Bibles open, connected to who God is as he has revealed himself to be, and that we would be, that we'd be praying in light of who he says and how he speaks to us. Also, three weeks ago, I talked about what it looks like to pray more, more humbly. What it looks like to have two phrases dominate some of our prayer, our disposition of humility that says, Lord, have mercy on me. You must have mercy on me. And secondly, your will be done. It must, it must be your will that is done for me. And last week, um, Steve walked us through what it means to pray helplessly. But it means to be fully dependent on God, to, to rediscover the language of our poverty and our deep need, that, that we are indeed helpless before him, vulnerable, and that our disposition is one of, of waiting. 
waiting patiently for him to fertilize, to prepare our hearts, acknowledging that apart from him, we can do nothing. He must be the one who does it. And this morning, we're going to spend our time thinking about what it looks like, what it means to pray more expectantly, to pray more expectantly. I'm going to read a series of scriptures that are going to capture a piece of what this looks like and means. So if you'll follow on the screen as I read this morning's passages. John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Matthew seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Luke says it a little bit different. He says, how much more your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Mark, Mark 11 says, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. First John 5, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And lastly, James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is, has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you notice the theme of what these verses declare? This is just a smattering of passages from the, from the scriptures that are making serious promises about the power of prayer. Serious promises about the power of prayer. And the activity that, that, that prayer like that can have in our lives and in our world. Did you hear the James 5 passage at the end there? He says, um, Elijah was, you know, the Greek says, like a dude, just like us. That's what it means. And yet he prayed fervently, James says, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and, and it started raining after three and a half years. And of course, all of this was to be able to demonstrate God's authority and power in front of King Ahab. So there was a, there was a purpose in it, but, but how does this work? 
How, how does prayer like this work? What does this kind of asking prayer look like? Did, did Elijah actually have control over the weather? Do you have control over the weather? If you do, can we bring in the fall? Anyone? I, um, I made it snow once. And that's my illustration. <laughs> I was five, uh, five years old, and uh, I had grown up on an island in the Caribbean for five years. Um, my folks were missionaries there, and we were in transit from this little island in Guadeloupe to, to Paris. And so we'd come back to the States, we'd call on furlough or on home assignment. And um, we went to Evergreen, Colorado, where my grandfather had a, had a church there. And so um, as we're arriving, we have a conversation about snow. Now, I've never seen snow. I've, I mean, other than in books, but that's not the same. And it was black and white TV, so there was always snow. You know what I'm talking about? Um, but, um, <laughs> Millie, you're always good for that. That's just great. Um, I've never seen it. I never felt it. It's like this experience that, you know, you're five. By then, everyone else has, and you haven't. And so, so as we're coming into Colorado, um, there was, I was hoping to see some, maybe some snow on the, on the, on the, you know, the tops of the mountains. My mom said, listen, if, if you're going to see snow, this is probably going to be your best chance. But it's June. And so I prayed. No joke. I prayed that God would let it snow in Evergreen, Colorado. It was a Saturday. By the way, my parents are right here. You can ask them. It snowed two and a half feet in Evergreen, Colorado the first week of June. Now, Sunday morning comes, and my grandfather has to stand up in front of his congregation and say, really sorry about the two and a half feet of snow. My grandson brought it to us, apparently. I have pictures in the middle of June, snow up to here or here, whatever. Um, and God had answered my prayer. Now, I don't understand that at all. Of course, it was gone in a day. You know it was June, but it was, it was gone. But I, didn't, I don't understand that. Do you understand what happened there? Because I don't. All I know is this, is that in my little five-year-old heart boy, what, what I learned is that God hears me. And I, candidly, to this day, I, have, I don't think I've ever doubted that God hears my prayers. Now, I don't know if I actually made it snow. But what the heck? I think I made it snow. <laughs> so there are, you know, there are like rain dances. And just know, if that's what we need, let me know. I will intercede for you. I was not in charge of that snowpocalypse a couple of years ago, just so we're clear. <laughs> the point of this is that this is such a challenging arena to understand, to get our heart and mind around. How does this work? Now, I, I, read a, I was reading a book about prayer, and, it, and he said, you know what's funny is that in, 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 Western, in the Western culture world, kind of the industrial West, um, we love to try and talk about prayer and figure it out, whereas the, um, the non-industrialized East and West, they just pray instead. They don't worry so much about trying to figure it out, but, but we want to figure it out, right? Don't, don't you want to understand how it works? I mean, I certainly do. And the great news is this. The more I've read, the more I've talked to people, yeah, we're not going to understand this. Not understand this all the way through. There's a ton of mystery here. This was called, uh, Tim Keller calls it practical mystery. This is what he says. He says, it is part of God's goodness and appointment that he allows the world to be susceptible to our prayers. How he does this? 
how he maintains control of history and still makes human prayer and action responsible within history is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible. Why call this practical mystery? Well, the teaching is that our prayers matter. We have not, as James says, because we ask not. And yet, God's wise plan is sovereign and infallible. So these two facts are true at once. And how that is possible is a mystery to us. We feel that if God is completely in control, well, then our actions just don't matter or vice versa. But think of how practical this is. If we believe that God was in charge and our actions meant nothing, well, it would lead to discouraged passivity. If, on the other hand, we really believed that our actions changed God's plan, it would lead to paralyzing fear. If both are true, however, we have the greatest incentive for diligent effort, and yet we can always sense God's everlasting arms under us. Under us. It is a tremendous truth. God deigns to hear prayer. He allows the world to, in some way, to, to be in some way under the control of the power of prayer. Thus is prayer powerful and effective. To pray more expectantly in, is in a very real and tangible way to pray, thy kingdom come. We talked a couple weeks ago about the, to pray, your will be done, but, but to pray expectantly is to pray, thy kingdom come. Lord, you bring your rule. You, you bring your reign your kingdom here now, have it have effect in my life and in, in the people around me and in, in the broken pieces of this world. Well, bring your kingdom, may it come. Your kingdom come. That's the prayer of expectancy. Julian of, of Norwich, 14th century mystic, identified prayer as a main channel in which God invites us to collaborate with his action in the world. You hear that? To collaborate with his action in the world. This is what she writes. She says, prayer unites the soul to God. For he beholds us in love and would make us partners of his good deeds. And therefore, he stirs us to pray that which it pleases him to do. God invites us to partnership with him in prayer in the world, praying your kingdom come. And this is a mystery. Let me say that again. There's a ton of mystery around this area, this, this concept of, of what we ask for and how we ask, how we ask expectantly. There's a whole bunch of verses that are basically saying, or seems to say, you read them, right? You saw them. I wasn't trying to hide them from you. I want to make sure you didn't miss them. If you ask, you get it. Did you read those verses? If you ask, you have it. Have you prayed ever? Yes. Well, I've prayed, and there's times I've asked. And you know what? I haven't gotten. I've actually prayed a bunch of times, and I haven't received. And now there's other times where I've prayed, and I have received. You? And that's, that's like, pretty amazing. Like, wow, these match. This actually happened. And then there's times where I've prayed and I've gotten like the adjacent answer. You know, the thing that's like next to the thing that you were kind of hoping for? And you're like, okay. Sometimes I feel like God answers quickly. And then there's times where it seems like it's, it's weeks, months. There's been times where it's been years before I see any kind of answer, any sense of clarity of like what, what happened to that thing that I asked you for? You 
this anyone else? Is this, this is kind of what it's looked like in your life? So all I know is this. I would like a formula. Anyone? I, I want a formula. I believe you would want a formula too. Because if I had a formula, well then, honestly, it, it, uh, it wouldn't feel so disorienting at times. I, I, would, I would just feel like there's a little bit of control. At least I have a, a sense of what's the way in which somehow I can guarantee outcome or at least guarantee some form of relief that I feel like I have to have. Because most of my fervent prayers are usually asking for some kind of relief from the thing that has come that I did not ask for. I wasn't sure I wanted, and now that it's here, I'm certain I don't. And so I want, I want relief, and one of the things, of course, that manifests itself most frequently is I realize I'm really much more interested in the relief than I am in God himself, and certainly more than his glory, but that's a whole other sermon. I want relief. I just, I want to know. I don't want to be disappointed. That means that sometimes we ask and we don't receive, but it also means that we have some clarity from the scripture. It's not a ton, but in this arena, we do have some sense that there are ways in which we don't receive because we're in our own way. We've actually created the blocks ourselves. Well, that's helpful, you know? Like if, you know, there's like a, if you're, um, your spigot's not working and you're like, oh, there's a snake inside the spigot. There's a reason why it's not, we can figure out what it is. And the worst thing in the world is a snake. So we, let's figure this out. There are reasons why sometimes we don't receive, we don't hear. We're in the way of our own prayers. So when should we expect our prayers not to be answered? This might help you. One is if we're praying with, with selfish motives. James chapter 4 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But even more so, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I ask wrongly when, when I tell God how he's supposed to run the universe in a way that would make my world work the way I feel like it has to work for me, or, or for you even. When, when I'm telling him that, no, no, you understand, like, he really needs a job. And stressing me out that he doesn't have one, stressing him out. We're all stressed out. Can we just, can we just give him a job? We have to spend on our passions. All humans are selfish, there's no, no doubt about it. Part of human nature is to consider ourselves more important than everyone else. And, but when that manifests itself in considering ourselves more important than God and what he would want and what he has chosen, it, it blocks. The first hindrance to our prayers is our motives, to spend it on our passions, to serve our own, the idols of our hearts, to serve the, uh, the things we have to have. I think that boosts our reputation, the increase of our bank account, the, the image that has to be maintained for our family, our life, our coworkers, our friends. These passions, they aren't the things that are consistent with the will and the character and the, the life of God. They're for us to be spent for us. They're not for even our benefit to become more. No, they're just, they're just for us only. And the Lord says the bottom line is that 
He won't answer selfish and self-centered prayers, which is good news, and we'll get to that in a minute. Instead, what, what he invites us to is to pray expectantly, to find ourselves not saying, I have to have this and you must give it to me and because and, it's going to change everything, is actually to find ourselves in a posture of abiding. We actually read uh, some of this uh, a second ago in John 15. Verse 7 says, listen to this. This is the, uh, you, want, you want to have your prayers answered? This is, this is one of the ways in which we, we pray expectantly. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, well then, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I mean, that, that's something. If, if you abide in me, if you root yourself in who I am, if you don't go to your idolatry to tell you who you are, but if you find yourself really embedded in the reality of who you are because of what I say is true, abiding, right? If you've been carved into my, my shoot, my root, my tree, if you'll abide with me and, and all that I say is true about you and all that I say is true about the universe, my words, if those abide in you, <laughs> let me just tell you what, you can ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. That's the opposite of asking for our passions, selfish motives. The other thing that blocks our prayers is an unforgiving heart. Like as, as Christians, if you're a Christian here, like one of the, tr the truest thing about you is that you've been, you've been forgiven by the work of another. That, that it wasn't yours, it's not your record that you come from and you come with. And so when we find ourselves with an unforgiving heart, and there's a great parable about this, about a man who was forgiven a ton, and then he goes and grabs someone who owed him nothing, and he drags him in front of the court. When we do that, when we have an unforgiving heart, not remembering the magnitude of what we've been given in forgiveness through Christ Jesus, we block our prayers. Mark 11, Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, that's I would call a comprehensive sentence. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Our ongoing assurance of forgiveness before God is somehow connected, is, is somehow dependent upon our choosing, our willingness to forgive others. They're woven together. Loved ones, let us forgive and not be harboring hatred, resentments towards others that our prayers may not be hindered. Next one is, um, I think, one of the most fascinating verses. 1 Peter chapter 3, um, the apostle Peter, who's a married man, he exhorts Husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. And he says, being sensitive to their needs, he says, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I'm just going to say it this way. If you're a husband in this room, like that should be a sobering reality right there. What God is saying is that he holds the picture of marriage of, of Christ and his bride, which is the, the picture of marriage, so highly that and it's supposed to be a manifestation of the sacrificial, gracious love of Christ for his church. God holds that so highly that he's saying, listen, 
if you're not going to actually make it look like that's the case for you, if you're going to basically treat her like she doesn't matter or not consider her or live in an understanding way, understanding that she's maybe not exactly like you, but a little bit different, if that's the case for you, like your prayers are going to be hindered. That's serious. You know what's amazing? It doesn't tell the wife to do that. So ladies, you're off the hook. Guys, I mean, are your prayers being hindered? Are, are you not, is God not answering what you're asking for him? Are you not experiencing the grace that, that you're longing for in him because, because you're not living with your wives in an understanding way? Ever speaks for itself. So men, let us not have our prayers hindered. Let us, let us choose to live as Christ did for the church, dying, sacrificing, loving well. Not perfectly, of course not. Having the kinds of homes that manifest that to the world, that our prayers may not be hindered and that we may be a reflection of Jesus. Next is unconfessed sin. Steve talked about this briefly last week in a different direction. Um, and, and this can be certainly, if you read Job, it's basically this over and over again. Um, and and it can be abused. But, but the bottom line is this. And the psalmist says it clearly uh, in Psalm 66. He says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Like if we, if we cherish iniquity in our heart, and just the imagery there is pretty rich, right? Like I'm cherishing iniquity. I'm, it's not just that like, oh, I'm sinning or I'm, I'm, I'm no, it's I'm cherishing iniquity. I'm like, this is, this is, this is good. I'm calling what is, what is evil good. I'm, I'm actually keeping what I know hidden. I'm not bringing it to the light. I'm, I'm not allowing God to bring his redemptive work in me through his people by, by taking it, as James says, confess your sins to one another. We read it and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's what we're talking about right here. The idea of what does it mean to bring those things to the light that you're not harboring, hiding them in the dark because your prayers get, get hindered. First of all, for one reason, go back to week one, not the real you is showing up with God. If, you, if you're sitting here today and you're planning on sinning, like you're planning on like, you know what? I am gonna need to get away with that or I'm gonna need to pretend like this. Yeah, I do, you know what? We just really don't wanna go to a community group today so we're just gonna tell them that we're sick. You know, that kind of thing. You know, little, little small stuff. If, if that's kind of the disposition of your heart, just know like God's like, hey, we're gonna be real here. We're gonna have a real relationship and and one of the ways in which I'm going to love you, and this is, this is an amazing thing about the kindness of God. I know it never feels that way when we're in those, those seats, but the kindness of God is he's going to say, I'm going to make you, un, like, I'm gonna make you unhappy, uncomfortable. I'm going to make you struggle by the fact that I'm not going to just answer your prayers. I'm not going to, you're not going to experience my presence so that you go like, huh, I wonder if this huge thing is in the way. That's his invitation to, to move towards him that your prayers may be heard, that you may receive the grace that he offers at any moment. Lastly is, is doubt. God wants us to have confidence in his ability and willingness to provide what is necessary for us to attain every amount of godliness, holiness, and joy that he has to offer. He wants us to know and to believe like inside the heart of heart of heart that, that he can do anything and that he will do whatever it takes on our behalf. And we know that because he already has. 
And so we don't, we don't doubt. When we doubt, when we ask, expecting the rejection or, or, or almost hoping for that kind of rejection from God, yeah, watch, I'm going to ask, it's not going to come through again. I knew it. That's what he's talking about here. Everyone doubts. Everyone has doubts. What, what the scriptures are inviting us here into is, is faith. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, which by the way is one of the prayers you can always pray and know that you can expect it. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Like this is what he does. He gives wisdom. That's an easy way to pray expectantly. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Our prayers can't be separated from our faith. For to ask God, we must expect and believe that he will indeed give, that he can and that he wants to meet our desires, that he is favorably disposed towards us. And therefore, when we find ourselves saying, I've been asking about this for a long time and, and nothing has changed. I'm taking an inventory of myself and I don't feel a whole lot different. I'm taking an inventory of her and she's not that different. And I've been praying about that for a long time. And we find ourselves believing that he can and that he, that he will and we begin to pray like the man with Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. We can't pray more expectantly without praying also more humbly. You know, week one, we talked about praying more honestly, then we talked about praying more truthfully and how those are kind of a pair, like a, they work with one another. And really to pray more humbly and to pray more expectantly are a pair. Because to pray more expectantly is thy will be done. And to pray more humbly is to pray, sorry, to pray expectantly is to pray uh, thy kingdom come. To pray more humbly is to pray your will be done. And you can't divorce the one from the other. Because God invites us to ask for things that both, that, that, that fulfill both our desires and his will. That's, um, for lack of a better term, that's the small letters at the bottom of all these things. If you do a search and a work through all these passages where Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you, there's, there's these hints of the, in his will, in faith, in his name. There's all these like, you know, it's, it, all the, it seems like little caveats. And it's like, these are not throwaway things. He invites us to ask for the things that both fulfill our desires and his will, which raises the question, how do we know, how do we know what those things are? Like in the Venn diagram of, of life, how do we know which ones those things are? And the reality is you don't often. I don't often, which is why some of this is mysterious. There are certain things in the scriptures, there is no doubt that you can pray with expectancy. Like you can pray, Father, forgive me, and he will forgive you. You can pray, give me wisdom, and the Lord will give you wisdom. He says, you ask these things and I will give them to you. It is God's will that you be sanctified. This is God's will, your sanctification, Thessalonians. You can pray, hey God, would you make me more like Jesus? And you don't have to go like, is he gonna grant that one? 
No. Like he says, this is what I desire. And so I'm, gonna, I'm pushing that into you. You asked for that? Thank you for asking. Here you go. I want to give this to you. You want to pray for the harvest. Pray for people to know Jesus. God always agrees with that. He's like, yes. Pray that God would send workers into the harvest, that, the, that their harvest may be full. Like you always know that, that God's going ex- to answer that prayer of expectancy. But what about all the other things? Because we don't always know. We pray those things as best we can, as best we can understand them and as best we can understand God with open heart and open hands that he might do something different. As, of course, this, this perspective takes us back to that question we touched on earlier. If God has a plan and if he's in charge, then does it matter? I mean, if God's going to do what he's going to do regardless, then does it make a difference? Most helpful thing that I've heard and has changed the way I think about this question came from, uh, from J.I. Packer. He says, there is, there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer for the child of God. No such thing as an unanswered prayer for the child of God. God always answers the prayers of the child of God. Why not? Why is there never an answer? Well, uh, John Calvin wrote a really long answer to the why not. And then my buddy Tim Keller wrote a real short summary of it. So I'm going to give you the short summary. This is, if there's something you want to write down today, write this down and think about this this week. Why does God, there's such thing as an unanswered prayer for the child of God. It's because God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. God would either give us what we ask or he will give us what we would ask would have asked if we knew everything that he knew. Which means that we can be sure that if we find ourselves asking for something that is not in our best interest, in his grace, he will not give it to you. He will not harm you in that way. doesn't mean we don't have pain. doesn't mean there's not loss. God will answer the desire underneath the request, but he will do it by means that aren't harmful to us, which is why Romans 8.26 says that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. This is This is saying that when we don't know what to pray or how to pray for something, the Spirit takes it and he just interprets it. And he said, if you knew what to pray for, you would pray for this. And so because I love you and because I am actually, I'm the Spirit of the Lord, I'm going to pray that to the Father on your behalf. Because if you knew, this is what you would ask for. That's the promise of the Spirit. It's one of the reasons why the the Apostle Paul got a different answer than what he asked for. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, about this thorn in the flesh, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
God answered Paul's expectant prayer for relief, not with relief, not relief of the thing. God answered Paul's request for relief of that thing with his grace, with, with his power. He said, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to rescue you from the thing. I'm going to rescue you through the thing, and something more is going to be true of you. There's going to be the power of God in your life. Now, Paul's saying, so I'm going to boast about that. And I think that's, that's where we get to. That's not usually where we start. It is, it is a great place to head towards, though, that, that when things come into our lives, when, when, when we ask because we are desperate and we want and must and, and long to see whatever take place, change, become true, become real, and it doesn't. The Lord is saying, I have something for you in it. Pray more expectantly is to pray with a faith-filled heart, with confidence and certainty that, that God is good and that God can do whatever he chooses to do, that he has power, and that, that he is favorably disposed towards you. Not only can he, but his disposition towards you is good. It's for your good, always good. So why can we pray expectantly? Well, because it, it opens our eyes to look for his answer, to look, for, to look for his rescue, even when it shows up in a totally different form than what we would have asked for. When we don't pray expectantly, we're like, nothing is going to happen. So God says, well, you don't have because you don't ask. So we ask, and we ask expectantly. And we're like, okay, it's not, it's not, based, on my, it's not based on my passions. I think I've cleared all this out. Kind of Steve was talking about that. I've, I've cleared this out of the way. So I'm, I'm asking best I can, best I know how. I'm not trying to doubt, help my unbelief. Um, here I am asking about this. And what, what it does when we pray expectantly is it raises our eyes and it starts showing us all the ways in which God is rescuing us. See, if you don't expect him to rescue, if you're not looking for him, you don't see all the ways in which he does rescue. And candidly, most of the time, it isn't the way we think because we don't even know how to pray. You don't, we don't even know what we really want or need. God is, he's meeting us with his grace. We get to see it. Helps us to be watchful, expectant, to be looking for his, his, his goodness, his, his rescue, because he does. Because that's who he is. It's a hard thing to, this is a hard thing to prepare in light of, in the wake of, of Amy passing. Because man, did we pray. We anointed her with oil, elders did. And I don't understand. And I've said to John, I don't understand. What's been, what was fascinating was to see all the ways in which God brought rescue. He didn't bring that rescue, and I don't know why. I don't know, none of us know why. You know, Hezekiah prayed. He was sick. God's like, you're going to die. And Hezekiah's like, can I have more time? And God's like, 
yeah, you can have 15 more years. I mean, it's not exactly how, but that's a kind of, that's what happened. And he got 15 more years. I don't know why Amy didn't get 15 more years. I mean, that's exactly what Becky and I were praying. Like, give her more years. Like, we want more years with her. So I don't know. The mystery remains. But because we were asking, like, God, heal her. Do something miraculous. Make it go away. Change the course. Like, popping up throughout the entire time, some of it because of the testimony of John and his family, is the moments where rescue showed up in crazy ways. The ways in which relationships were restored in, in ways that a year ago, I don't think that we would have even believed was possible. That's not the thing we were praying for. But God rescued there. God en- made me ended in peace. A lot of people don't end in peace. And God answered prayer there. He rescued her there. So I, I don't want to stand up here and pretend like I understand all the ways in which God answers prayer and doesn't answer prayer. I know the things that, protect, that prevent us from God hearing our prayers. That's clear in the scripture. There are some things that we can ask without even blinking. But then there's a whole slew of stuff that involves us being in a real relationship with a real God that we don't get to control, but that we're supposed to come to and just say, here it all is. Would you meet us here? Would you change this? Would you make this happen? And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going like, listen, my God will rescue us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to go and we're still not going to bow down to you. Like we know who he is. Loved ones, that's what it means to pray expectantly, not to pray with certainty. You don't have certainty. Anyone who pretends to have certainty is just lying. This is the certainty we have, that we know the one whose prayer was rejected and that because his prayer was rejected, we have certainty that ours is heard. And there are things that are going to be answers that we don't like in this lifetime. But all his promises are yes in Jesus, all of them. And so when we come to this table and we remember Jesus and we focus our eyes on him because he's the only sure thing. He's the only sure thing. Loved ones, he's the only sure thing for you. When we focus our eyes on him, we start to see his rescue. And we get to say amen and alleluia and praise you. And then one day, all shall be well. All all depression will disappear. All sadness, all death will go away. And we will be with him. And And then we will rejoice and then our faith will be sight. And we won't have to go like, okay, Lord, I, I, I believe. I don't see, but I believe. Now that our faith will be sight and all shall be well. Loved ones, all shall be well. So I don't know what you're praying for right now. And Lord, I hope you're praying for things that are going to cause you to have to risk, that are going to have to take you out of your comfort zone. Don't live a small life. Live a big life that trusts God and ask big things of him. And then move. Move with him. Trusting him to do crazy, amazing things. So at the end of your days, you find yourself saying, all right, Lord, I've trusted you all the way. And there was a whole bunch of stuff I didn't understand. And there's a whole slew of stuff I didn't really like. But you have been with me. You have been faithful. And I have seen your rescue, your grace all along the way. And I'm a different person. So I go in peace. That's what we can hope for. That's what we can long for. It's who we can be by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, my, how we want to see you. We want, we want to hear you clearly. We want to, man, I want, we want certainty. We want answers to all of our questions. And so I thank you 
one, that you're not annoyed by our questions, that you're not put off by our inquiries, that you love us in spite of our broken prayers and our, because you love us because of Jesus. I thank you that that you turned a deaf ear to Jesus so that you could hear us pray, that you could hear me pray right now. It's because you said no to him that now in him we can be heard, that we can be received, and that's what we celebrate this morning is that we're received. That tells us the truest thing about us. That's solid ground. That's a place from which we can move into a world that has all kinds of unknowns and uncertainties. That's where we want to be, and we want to bring that hope and that light everywhere we go. Would you do that in us? Please, Christ, glorify yourself in us in this way, we pray. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, boy, is this your meal. Come receive the grace of Christ and his body and blood for you, for you. And, and pray like crazy, expectantly, because of this. That's his invitation to you today. So come, receive.